Welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Coming at you from the docking living room, the setting of our, our second On the Wing Podcast. We're joined by Tom Dockin. We're going to talk using your bird dog to hunt sheds. And co-hosting this particular episode is the in-house resident expert at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever on shed hunting, Logan Hinners, senior graphic designer. Um, gentlemen, thanks for joining me to talk shed hunting. I, I'll admit I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to using my dirt bird dog for uh, hunting sheds, so I'm glad I've got uh, you experts here. Well, we'll bring you up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of getting up to speed, uh, I tried doing research on kind of the history of shed hunting uh, on this thing called the Google machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't go to the library and look up microfiche, but uh, <laughs> uh, you do a, a Google search of shed hunting, and there is only one name that comes up when you say history of shed hunting. It, it is Mr. Tom Dockin. <laughs> so did you invent this? I No, I didn't. <laughs> and, I, and I always try to clarify this when I do a seminar. I wasn't the first guy to teach a dog how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to offend anybody who was out there doing it ahead of time and and was training. And uh, so, but I think we talked about this a little earlier, the fact that uh, I've shed hunted and, and, you know, we started the North American Shed Hunting Dog Association more out of a passion than anything else. I just think that that put the name in the forefront there. And and, uh, there's so many people that are are into this now and, and dog trainers are doing this and succeeding that, you know, I, I, that's just probably the reason more than anything else. It, it is, you know, and we'll, we'll dive into the, the shed hunting, um, the circuit that, uh, that is out there, but, you know, just from a pheasants forever and a quail forever perspective, and I boil it down to national pheasant fest and quail classic, the amount of enthusiasm over bridging the off season with your bird dog to hunt sheds has really exploded in the last, I don't know, what do you think, Logan, maybe the last eight years yeah. when we've seen um, yeah. attendance just skyrocket for these seminars? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, the the launch of shed hunting, um, I certainly noticed it back like 2010, 2011. Um, at that time, I was out west um, as a hunting guide out there, and um, some of the guys were using dogs to find and locate elk sheds, and I, I was like, wow, man, that's cool. I, I didn't at the time own my own bird dog but you know I, I made a mental note and told myself when I do get a bird dog like I'm definitely doing that and I think it was about that time um, for me you know Josh Miller kind of came on the scene and his um, chocolate lab east and I think won mm-hmm. Tom's trials and um, you know I, I kind of started following it at that point and it's about that point that I got my current lab Aspen and um, I mean that's kind of where I jumped on board and man, I love it it's a uh, it's a great time for me. Um, you know, we're th- through bird season. We're through. I'm a big archery deer hunter. Um, so it's it's the ability to be able to combine both those passions in a time of the year where there's not a lot else going on, and I can get my dog out in the field, um, continuing to work with him. I mean, there's nothing that beats it. Well, and that's why I asked Logan to be the co-host for this particular episode because he is the absolute profile, right? I mean, he's he's into he's, it. He's a hardcore deer hunter. Yep. And he's got a bird dog that he's absolutely in love with. And shed hunting is the bridge between the two. And, well, and you must have seen that early on. Great crossover. Great crossover sport. And, you know, I was a bird hunter, and I've archery hunted for forever and ever, but a bird hunter. And I shed hunted, just walked around and looked for sheds. And, you know, I'd seen somewhere where somebody was doing sheds with their dog. And I go, well, I am a dog trainer. I should be able to know how to do this. And then just broke it down into just some training steps and got our own dogs to do it. But bird hunters are passionate about going out and working their dogs. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it's all about. And we have this gap, especially up in the Midwest. You know, hunting season's over. What are you going to do? And you got three months of kind of nothing. And now, you know, we have another thing that we can go do with our dogs. And and the fact that they can transition, these dogs are so capable of transitioning from one thing to the next, it, it just adds to it. I mean, we, we've started a whole new thing as far as, you know, Tina and I 
I mean, it's like, all right, we're, you know, we're going out shed hunting. And, and she's as passionate as, as I am or even more. Hmm. So I'll be gone on a trip and, you know, she'll be sending me pictures of sheds and I'm going, oh, geez, you know, there she is. She's out there doing it again. So, it, you know, we're talking as guys here, but this isn't just a guy mm-hmm. thing. Now it's, I mean, we have as many women that are getting involved with this because they want to do something with their dogs and kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Tony Peterson sure. as well. I mean, his little girls, they're out there doing it with their dog as much as anything else. And it's the grand Easter egg hunt. Yep. It's and, a scavenger hunt. And how excited, how excited were you? When your dog found the first shed antler, no, I went bonkers. I, could, I, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> like, I did too. This is happening. This is the thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, you made a great point. Um, my wife doesn't. She's she's very involved in the outdoors, and um, my passion and and uh, allows me to do. I'm, it's basically 365 days a year now. Um, she she fully supports that, and this allows her to get in the field with myself and our dog and. Um, seeing her in the field, um, being able to interact with the dog, you know, someone who, who doesn't necessarily bird hunt in the fall. Um, it's helping her align with that and giving her a greater appreciation for our time of field. So it's, it's pretty cool. Right. It, what's really interesting on, on the drive down, Logan was also talking to me about it from a hardcore whitetail fanatic perspective where he's seeking out antlers from a particular particular animal yeah yes you kind of build a history with a particular deer um you know i've gotten to the point um i'm I'm somewhat selective in in what i harvest or try to be um but it's pretty cool when you can essentially find a shed from a particular deer for a couple years running and and kind of build a history and and know that you know this deer's been on our farm or our place for two or three years now and um you know i I've gained all this knowledge, you know, going in the off season, doing all the scouting, um, working with my dog to, to locate sheds. Um, we're able to, to better, um, put that puzzle together, I guess, connect those dots when it comes to fall archery season. Um, you know, I'm able to locate core bedding areas. Um, you know, I have, I have a history with a particular deer, which, um, some, sometimes can be the curse. Um, if you have a, <laughs> our bow hunting's hard enough the way it is. Um, and then you, you add the element of I'm only only after one particular animal. Um, that's an added challenge, I guess. Right. And it, you know what it is? If you're an avid whitetail hunter like you are, especially a bow hunter, it is 365. Yep. I mean, you know, for us, you know, we're doing things, a lot of things though, that we do for our deer, you mm-hmm. know, whether we're here in Minnesota on our place or in South Dakota, everything that we do for our deer, deer and pheasants, they share and need the exact same things. Mm. So anything that we're doing for the deer you know, the, the pheasants are going to, you know, benefit from it too. They need good winter cover. They got to be able to survive through the winter and they have to have, you know, have to have food as well. So that habitat and then, you know, CRP acres, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for these deer. I mean, when they're, uh, especially, you know, in those, uh, you know, areas out in the Dakotas, that's where they're fawning. So they need that just like the pheasants need that. They need that secure cover. So everything that we do for those whitetails, it's a crossover into the pheasants and you know i i know that some of the projects that have been done on our places uh you know are, are really a combination and, and you know pheasants forever was a big part in partnering with other organizations to create some of these things that we've got on our property yeah and it goes beyond whitetails too doesn't it? i mean because uh you and you look at your um um, website for the shed hunting championship and there's you know moose paddles and elk i mean you can use your pup to hunt all sorts of different sheds right you, you know and we're, we're yeah we're just talking midwest but you know in the master level which is our highest level the dogs have to be able to search and find a uh, an elk handler now within reasonable size i mean you get one that a dog can't handle but uh you know out west i mean this it's a big we think it's big here mm. You know, hunting elk shed antlers, I mean, it's it's a big thing. They even have seasons out there. And, and the reason for those seasons out there is so they're not pushing them out of those wintering areas, which mm-hmm. is really important. But uh, a gentleman who won the world championships a couple times came from New Hampshire. Well, his dog primarily was a moose shed hmm. dog where that dog could retrieve some smaller ones but would indicate when it found one, run over to him and go like, 
get over here. There's one right here. <laughs> what breed of dog is that? It, it, it was a Labrador. Okay. It was a Labrador. I was just making sure it wasn't a cocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've got... There's, there's a, a story there's, coming, there folks. There is a story coming. There's a, a little dog who's competed uh, for probably... I think he was at it for about four years. His name was Newman. And this gal showed up at one of the trials, first time we ever saw her, and she's got Newman under her arm. I mean, and he's like kind of a terrier, kind of a cross. Uh-huh. Everybody was kind of thinking, well, she must be just here to be watching these dogs work. And she comes in, signs up, and uh, she got a lot of people raising their <laughs> eyebrows like, are you kidding me? That little dog tore it up. And he ran in the world championships here, and he just missed being a finalist. That I, I'm I might be wrong on this, but three, four years ago, missed just being right out of the finals. So <laughs> any breed. It only takes a nose. Any huh? breed, that's right. Uh, well, okay, so a few minutes ago you mentioned that it's a um, the step-by-step process. And from a guy that's really dependent on his dogs to, you know, the innate ability, the natural instinct to chase feathers, I don't even know where I would start to train in a dog to, to – um, find shed so help me out here what's first first thing that you need to think about well the thing is you know you've seen the seminars at the pheasant fest that i've done is i really want to break it down and go like this is not rocket science here this is this is really easy and it's just basic steps and most people who have a sporting breed or maybe even you know a non-sporting breed if you have a dog that likes to retrieve and i want to say this to begin with you have to have a dog that wants to retrieve okay that's kind of the key because if you're out shed hunting and you're working and you you don't always have your eye on the dog because you're kind of looking yourself, you got to know that if he finds one that they're going to pick it up and want to get it back to you. So good, strong retrieve instinct is good. So I always tell people just think of that antler as a tennis ball. If you have a sporting breed and you're throwing a training dummy, just think of it. That's all that is to your dog. So anything, if you have a dog that likes to retrieve – If you give it a toss and he wants to pick it up, that's the game. They want to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you break it down like that and go, well, can you get your dog to go pick that tennis ball up? Well, yeah, he loves that thing. So think of it as that. So if you start off by having a little piece of antler and I cut the tines off so it's just a small piece and give it some tosses, your dog starts figuring out, well, this is what I'm supposed to pick up. Mm. And then, you know, we start adding from there. Now that it'll pick it up and you're having fun with it, now start hiding it. My dogs are in the house here. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have them in the house. doesn't have to be. Now you can go and hide it in the middle of the next room. Not real tough. But then uh, I use a word. My, my word is find the bone. You can use something else. But I always tell people who have hunting dogs, don't use one of your bird commands mm-hmm. for that. Make this separate. And uh, play that game of letting them go in and find something. And then you can take it in the backyard and start hiding, you know, some antlers in the backyard and then gradually you graduate yourself, you know, out into a little bit, you know, you know, more rural type areas. But the whole key to this is you can do most of this in your backyard to get the foundation done. Hmm. You know, whereas if you're training for birds, you know, you got to have guns, mm-hmm. you got to have all these things. This can literally be done. Hmm. And, you know, in, in the house here, then we'll play games where as these dogs get better, we're hiding it behind a door, hiding it around the corner. You know, when we start saying find the bone, the dogs are tearing this place up, you know, <laughs> just just looking for it. But the thing is, it, it can be started. And then you can just graduate and make it as tough as you want. And the, the key here is that these dogs are capable of using their nose, mm-hmm. which we can't, obviously, when we're out there looking. And they're going to use their eyes, and they're going to cover 10 times the ground that mm-hmm. we cover. So yep. it, it's, it's just a big plus, but it, it's not as hard as what most people think. So you mentioned using a bone as the starter, but I've seen um, like rubber adaptations of antlers. Are the is that an effective tool, or is that teaching is that different than the bone of an antler? What what I like is I like to start with. Now everybody's going to be different mm-hmm. on how they do this. All right, and you might talk to ten different people, and they have different ways that they want to do it. I want to start with a small piece of antler, and it's going to be kind of a straight piece. It's not okay. going to, I don't want tines on it. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to do some short little tosses and get them picking it up. One thing I, I don't want people to do is when they start doing this is taking an antler and, you know, with full tines on it as you graduate and giving it a throw and send the dog for it 
you know, like 20 yards where he's running 100 miles an hour and hits it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that just, you know, it doesn't make sense because you got tines involved. Mm-hmm. So we start off just with some little short little tosses, and then gradually we work on having them just go out and start to look. So that whole idea is I just like to start with what they're going to what they're going to gotcha. have. There can be lots of different uh, ways. We have one that uh, is plastic. It's got a, it's a hard plastic and it's hollow and you can use it in the water. So everything that your dog experiences, it looks like an antler and they're picking it up because it floats. Mm-hmm. But in reality, having, having an antler to start with is what I like. Gotcha. And then, you know, we start using a, a training scent mm-hmm. after we get them picking it up that simulates. And most people don't realize that a dog isn't smelling normally the whole antler. When it falls off the deer's head, when it falls off, mm-hmm. it's going to have like a waxy ring where it kind of falls off the head. It might have some blood or hair hmm. on it. So that's what they're really targeting, you know, other if it's nose. Sure. You know, visual isn't a whole other thing, but that's, that's what they're going to be after. And so we simulate that with the scent that we put on the antler and get the dog kind of, you know, preconditioned to that. And how long does that scent, after it falls off the animal, how long does that scent hold on? For a long time? The fresher, the better. Sure. The fresher, the better. Um, what we're uh, what we're after is uh, having them uh, to the point where... <laughs> and uh, folks, we're looking outside the window, and um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven whitetails in the driveway all and, of a sudden. And no antlers. They're all <laughs> off by now. It's, you know, we, we got some bucks that come in here now, and... And you go like, oh, his antlers are somewhere. But um, the scent will, the fresher, the better. Um, And, you know, this time of year here where, you know, we still have, you know, moisture on the ground, we got snow, it's going to, they're going to stay fresh for quite a while. It's Mm kind of like having one in the freezer Mm -hmm. that thaws out. When you start getting into, you know, when it's warm and it's super dry, it's, you know, it's going to dry out. And then you've also seen if you found some white chalky ones, you know, in the fall They're or something. They're out there for a year or two. Yeah. They just don't have much scent. But remember, they're using their eyes mm-hmm. as yep. well. So, yeah. That, that's that's something that I use too is like a, a cutout silhouette. And I know that's part of your regiment is, is just kind of training your dog's eye for that that shape, that distinct characteristic of antler tines and um, you know, they'll start to pick that up visually as, as well as using their nose at some point. So I definitely use that approach. And um, the bi- the biggest thing for me and, and my pup was just keeping it fun. Um, you know, just like anything in, in training, um, you, you, you start to do it too much or they get sick and tired of it. I mean, you can tell and it's just time to be done. And I'm just trying to keep that fun for them, I think, was the biggest thing. Right. And we do that even with bird training. You know, most people go, oh, the dog did it twice, especially a youngster. Let's just keep doing it. Because he loves it. And the whole key is not giving him enough, ever. Hmm. I don't ever want them to have enough as a puppy. We always quit well before they would even think of quitting. And you always want them coming back going, I didn't get enough, I didn't get enough. That's why, like, an old dog, over a period of time, they'll hunt all day just with the hopes of finding the next pheasant over the next hill. Mm -hmm. Where a young dog, if they don't get something within 10, 15 minutes, get it up like a bird, they're you know they're pretty much done they're kind of like like taking a kid fishing if he's not catching fish right away he's playing in the tackle box <laughs> you know <laughs> it's never happened <laughs> well, <okay. laughs> but but that's kind of that same mentality so keep yeah gotta keep it gotta keep it fun and in the you know shed hunting's not we're something you're gonna find a shed around every corner either no. you know that yeah. and bob and i were talking about that i mean a lot of it's dependent on, on some of the things you've touched on especially with a winter as severe as we've had this year um you know all those deer are congregated yarded up um so when you find one shed you're probably going to find a lot and then you know with with that being said you're going to walk a lot of miles to maybe find that location where all these deer are yarded up um so it's it's it can be pretty hit or miss you know the years that we don't have a severe winter um you know the sheds can be a little more widely dispersed and um, you have a little more luck finding them out and about anywhere you walk Right, and then develop a young dog, too. I mean, you, they got to find something. So I always tell people, if you're going out and you have a younger dog who's kind of caught on, he knows what you're doing in training, then carry one with you. Have your, like, your bird hunting vest mm-hmm. on and put it in your back pouch. And if you don't see something within a period of time when he's still a little bit active, when he's not looking, flip it out to the side and then let him come back around and find it. And then you got to be done. Hmm. 
because you, you know you just they aren't just going to keep looking and looking and looking you know without getting something and then also what i like to do is you know once you find one of these areas you don't even have to have the dog um, you find one of these good bedding areas where they've yarded up i'll go in and i'll just go in without the dog especially a youngster i'll go in without him look around and i'll see what i can find but i don't pick them up yep then Ooh. i'll come back because i go okay i know where they're at hmm. and then i'll bring that young dog in and let them have some success kind of like you scouted a little fishing spot, and you go, sure. I need to take the kids right here, the, you know, the sunfish are right here. It's, it's no different than what we do with our bird dog in the field. I mean, you kind of know the area. You, you have a plan on how you want to hunt it, and I, I think that's, that's another good point is um, setting your dog up for success. You enter some of these bedding areas, and it's, it's not just entering from any point. It's, you know, if, if there's a wind out of the north, I want to be walking into the wind, mm-hmm. especially with a shed. They're laying there. They're not moving. So you want to put the odds in your favor and have that that wind in your favor it helps mm. helps the dog um i mean if you come in from the wrong side he's not going to pick up that scent and then he's just using visual you're losing the nose aspect right yeah and you talked about um out west there's seasons in which you can be in the field looking and in the midwest there are no seasons <clears throat> so from an ethical perspective you know we're talking about um bedding areas and feeding areas core core spots for overwintering whitetails, especially when it's a tough winter, like we've mentioned right. it is right now. When when are you past a time that you feel like, okay, we can go out into these bedding areas? Is it when the snow is virtually gone so the deer can move around freely and then you kind of have a sense that, okay, now I can bring my dog out there? Well, my experience is that you'll if, if you know your areas well enough, you'll just kind of start seeing these deer of, They've just now started dispersing Disperse. out of it. You know, right now our winter here has, has been really tough, and these deer are still kind of yarded up. But, you know, you get those days, your snow melt starts going down, and you'll just see them naturally just moving out. And a lot of these deer that, you know, you're even seeing here in my front yard, they're, they may not even be here during the summer months. They might be, you know, 10 miles from mm-hmm. here. But, you know, in this general area, uh, if they come in here, you know, within a mile or two of, of our place, they they're there for a reason you know and i know that you know a mile from here there's a big uh you know set of uh pine trees big big grove of that and then there's you know food source too so these deer will kind of stay in an area and then they just they'll move out and go but that's what i kind of use kind of a rule <laughs> if if you can make it back there <laughs> you know then they could probably get around right right yeah but i don't like just going in and shove you know pushing them out of those yeah. areas i mean it's just it's stressful on them and I also do in one of my seminars, I go, well, you know, you can pre-scout and, and look and find these areas, and your conservation officers normally know where these, you know, kind of core areas are, and I say, you know, you can ask them, but you, you really want to go in and go, okay, but I'm not going to go in there until, like, April or, you know, first mm-hmm. part of April because, you know, they're there for a reason. They don't want you going in there pushing them around right. and doing stuff like that, and you know, I know we always talk about, you know, opportunities of places to mm-hmm. go. I did a seminar in uh, Kansas City a few years back at Pheasant Fest. I get off stage and a guy comes up to me and he says, uh, would you ever consider coming to somebody's place to shed hunt? And I go, well, y- yeah, I guess. And and he, he farmed thousands of acres hmm. in, in the western part of the state. And he says, when I run over one of those, and he's got big equipment mm. big tractor you know that those tires about the size right. of you know 747 when i when i run over one and puncture a tire i mean it's not a hundred bucks mm. i mean it's it costs him you know in the vicinity of a thousand dollars or more every time he says i want them all out of here <laughs> <laughs> so you know you don't get a lot of people coming so, up and say would you, would you come and shoot my pheasants right. because you know there's too many of them so there's opportunities out there mm. as well. I know in, in South Dakota uh, out there, there's these deer move into these farmyards, and especially if they have cattle. That's kind of the biggest thing because they're feeding. And they're in the silage piles and there's mm. stuff like that. And, um, you know, once again, it's it's like, well, maybe you can get permission to go in mm. and, and find those antlers. And if you're really, if you're interested in just hunting your dog, and if they say, well, I kind of like the antlers, well, I'll give them to you. You know, I just want my dog to have some success in finding them. So opportunity is there. And then suburbs, you know, some of the best sheds 
are found in the suburbs because, you know, they're in somebody's backyard and they're eating out of their bird feeder and they're not getting hunted. Mm-hmm. So they grow you, big deer. Oh, big deer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And to Tom's point, I mean, I, I kind of use shed hunting as my entry into a new landowner. Um, you know, I'll ask to shed hunt before I ever ask to, to actually physically archery bow hunt. Um, you know, just they're more receptive to it hmm. and you can kind of build a, a rapport with that respected landowner. You can show them you're respecting his land. Uh, when you're out there shed hunting, you kind of build that um, relationship, and then you can make that ask to bow hunt later. And I've had pretty good success doing that. So, right, hmm. yep. What yeah. do you guys do with your sheds? Uh, is it collect? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. There, there <laughs> so are decorations all over the house. That's just part of them. But yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Same deal. I've yeah. every shed I've ever found, I've I've held on to. And we like, we try. Normally, we'll we'll just put a little. Uh, um, sharpie deal on of it uh you know 2018 and put the dog's name on it trying to kind of do that but yeah people go what do you do it it, what do people do with a duck band right you sitting on the mantle somewhere it is because there aren't that many out there Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so when you find one it doesn't have to be like a you know a boone and crockett size it can be a smaller one too but the fact that your, especially your dog, you know, when your dog goes out and finds one on his own, uh, first time my dog, and I bet, you know, I bet I'd been doing it for 35 years training dogs. And then I trained my dogs to do it, but it, training's training. But when you go out and do the real thing, I'm walking around and, you know, I'm looking and, and all of a sudden my dog shows up and he's got one. I, I was like a little kid. I'm going, this is like <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm still yeah. that way, huh? Yeah. Because, it it's just so unique. Huh. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It's comparative when a dog finds its first bird, yeah. makes its first retrieve. I mean, it's it yeah, ranks right up there for me. Yeah, it really does. So when you talked about you know hiding the bone around the house, my assumption is that the sooner you start that with a puppy, the quicker they're going to get it. I mean, if if you bring a pup home and that's their target for retrieving. Right, you're going to be able to take them out shed hunting their entire life, and it's going to be relatively easy for the pup you start young. It's always easier, I think, with a puppy. My my first dog that I did it with though was uh, he was eight years old, hmm. and uh, he'd already been pheasant hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting, you know, for quite a few years. But the fact that anytime you can start in the beginning, it it does it does does make it easier. And then another point, you know, with so many crossover people, pheasant hunters, duck hunters. And this is, I get this question every time I do a seminar. If I teach my dog to hunt sheds, will he quit hunting pheasants when I'm out hunting pheasants? Mm-hmm. And I go, and I have to answer that, and I tell people this all the time. It won't, because that antler can never compete with that bird. And in fact, you know, when I get out and I'm and I'm looking in CRP and areas where there's going to be pheasants, my dogs, you know, they do everything. We start kicking up pheasants, and they go, okay, we're in pheasant mode now. Mm-hmm. So I actually have to just kind of pull myself out of there because when you do crossover training like that, uh, you know, birds will always be number one. Well, no, that's okay. Like no chance. No chance. Yeah. Birds no. trumpet 100 out of 100. Well, they're, you know, they they fly, they, they run, run, they're yeah. soft, mm-hmm. they smell good. I love to chase them. I, You know, I love to have them in my mouth. I mean, it's like right. having a, either a piece of dry toast or, a, you know, a T-bone steak. <laughs> you know so okay but, but there's guys that just they don't bird hunt with their shed dogs at all they're just in it for shed hunting, shed hunting. I mean, guys that are just yep. crazy about sheds yeah so <clears throat> that that's certainly a question well, we've talked about this on kfan right and that's always a question that comes in is hey we um you know i'm worried about my dog carrying more caring more about sheds and birds and you've always answered that consistently like no chance don't worry about it but the the second most common question that's come in is um you know will my dog start fixating on deer because of the connection with the sheds will you know i'm out bird hunting and is my dog now going to chase deer because of the connection with the sheds no you know in, in most bird dogs in, in a sense at some point in their life that prey drive we always talk about prey drive for birds. I mean, you could develop prey drive for deer. I mean, if you go like, I want you to chase the deer, and you encourage mm-hmm. him, the first one he bumps up. Um, but, you know, if if you've trained your dog not to chase deer, and I do because, mm-hmm. you know, you're out pheasant hunting, you, you're bumping into them all the time. Right. They know that 
don't chase that thing. And they go, well, if I if my dog gets disciplined for chasing a deer, will he quit Chasing going for sheds? They yep. can't put that together. They okay. can't go antler. Their dogs are more going on the fact that something's trying to get away from them than the smell. Huh. Okay. So they they won't look at that antler because keep in mind now you've been doing fun, 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 fun with the antler. So when they go prey drive after something that's trying to run away and they get disciplined for it, they go, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. Huh. Um, all right. So so we talked a little bit about a pop, you know, being able to um, pick up this bone, and that might be the easier course. But you did say, you know, you, the first dog you ever trained was an 8-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, how long, you know, well, here we are in the middle of um, the dead season. Can you theoretically train a dog to learn how to hunt sheds in a matter of weeks and go out and find them or is this more of a uh, a lengthier process than that you can you can get them started let's just say okay it's it's what mid-march yeah mid-march and you go okay i'm gonna go out in two or three weeks you could get a dog started having fun picking something up and you know making a game out of it but you really do need some time to develop it you know where it gets to be a routine (laughs) And go out. You know, I would say realistically for somebody to have a dog that started getting proficient on it, you know, a couple months. But there's nothing to say. Let's say on an older dog, let, let's say your your bird dog, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's used to going out and hunting, and he's you know he doesn't have to find something all the time. There's nothing to say you can't take that dog sure, out. Sure, sure. And even even if you have a young dog that just likes to go out and explore and be with you, you mm-hmm. can go out, but. You, your expectations have to be that, well, you know, he, he might get bored with something. But so I wouldn't keep saying, find the bone, find the bone, find the bone, when I know that it's probably not going to happen. Nothing to say you can't take that dog out for a walk. Mm-hmm. And if you stumble on something, hmm. you can do it, you know. So, uh, yeah, but to have one that's like he's he's on top of it, he's geared in, he's like going to do it. Yeah, it takes a little bit of time, like anything else, like a bird dog. Do you think... Um some dogs become better at hunting sheds than they do birds, or is a good bird dog going to be a good shed shed hunter? Is it a different skill set? Oh, uh, I I just think that the game, you know, a a good bird dog. Let's mm-hmm. just say a good bird dog. I mean, like he's like, I'm a, I, all I got I, on my brain is bird hunting. Mm-hmm. I don't see that dog being a better shed dog than a bird dog, just because of that same fact is that that bird is. That yeah. bird's king. It, it just is. Now, the proficiency, you know, from when we started the shed trials and watching the dogs today mm-hmm. that are competing, night and day almost. And it's just because it's just because people have gotten passionate about it and, and put the time in on it. They're year-round on just doing the training for it. So the dogs are way better now. So I'm, so the dog that wins the National Shed Hunting Championship later this spring... You take that pup out in the field to hunt quail in the fall. Are they going to be rock stars, or is it a different? Is it simply different? It's it's two different. It's just really kind of two different things. So let's say that mm-hmm. that dog was a good quail dog or a pheasant dog right. prior. I mean, they just like okay. We're you know, when as soon as you grab the gun. You know what do your dogs act like when you grab the gun? <laughs> I mean, it's go. crazy time, yeah. right? Our dogs are the same way. I mean, they're huh. they're in bird mode at yeah. that at that point in time. So, it it's a fun game to do. Mm-hmm. Dogs can get super proficient at it. Uh, it's just been my experience that you, there's just not a competition. Mm-hmm. Birds and and sheds, there just isn't. Yeah, I, I um, it, it's interesting. I was thinking like maybe that there's. Um, not that there's competition between sheds and birds, but that similar um, skills would transfer from one to the other. It it does. I mean, the upland, all you're doing is upland hunting right? for sheds. So It's using your nose. It, that was another yeah. question. So if a pup is using nose and eyes to hunt sheds, what percentage do you think the dog finds with its nose versus its eyes? You know, that's a good question because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times you don't see what they're doing. Hmm. I mean, because they're, you know, you're you're out there and you might be just off and, and him picking up on scent. I, I would say 
my experience would, you know, it depends on what you're hunting. There's just some stuff I won't hunt if I don't have the dog, like a big CRP field. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just like an ocean. Grass is there. too tall and you or can't see the... Pick corn, mm-hmm. you know, pick corn. I mean, you, you go into a pick corn field, and I know when I'm doing a seminar, I go like, you have a migraine if you're just trying to find them with your eyes because everything looks like a, an antler. So, you know, those areas... I'm not going to probably pursue them very hard if I don't have the dog because visually you're not going to see the majority of them. Where if you're in the woods, you probably, Logan, seen it with your dog, especially if you have an older dog and you got a little sunny day and you're going and you're looking around. If you, you're going to see something that doesn't look like it belongs there, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's kind of bright. Now forget snow looks on the ground. out of place. And you go yeah. like, that doesn't look right. And, and you'll see these dogs going along and they see something that doesn't look like it should be there, and it's not a whole antler now. It's just like there's one little thing sticking up that doesn't look right. They'll go check it out. Hmm. They'll I go. Che- yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Like Aspen's first shed that he found it. When you know we're working our way through this this little wood lot, and there's public land, and about at the exact same time, him and I saw this object that you know stuck out. It was a shed. Uh, I saw it, and the second I saw it, he was already reacting and bolting towards the shed and it, it had to have been a visual thing um from our training sessions and i mean he ran right to it super excited just like he gets when he gets birdie um tail going crazy i mean it, it was the same exact thing as following them mm-hmm. in the, the uplands chasing pheasants or quail and he picked it up brought it back um so i mean i think yeah. it's you know it's a multitude of things but they definitely key in on it with eyesight for sure huh. right yeah so it, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to say because a lot of times you know, bird hunting, you, you kind of want to, you know, pointing dogs different depending on how far you let them range, mm-hmm. you know, and how much you trust them to hold point once yep. they get out there. Yep. Whereas this, range isn't as much of an issue because we're not worried about a dog bumping an antler. Bumping right. meaning <laughs> like you're going to flush it and it's going to get away. So yeah. I'll let my dogs range more doing this because huh. I'm not worried about them flushing something wild. So it's, you know, we just give them a little more free reign. Well, you, you, you've teased my next question, pointing dogs. So is a pointing dog going to point a shed or is a pointing dog going to pick it up and bring it back to you? Or is a pointing, pointing dog going to say, nah, this isn't for me? Well, we have like, uh, there's several German shorthairs that run on a real regular basis and, you know, in the competitions. And once again, it's how much retrieve does mm-hmm. a certain breed have, okay. you know, and, and my feelings are like your, your versatiles probably have more retrieve in them, you know, than, you know, say maybe your English pointers, uh, or your setters. setters yeah. yeah they, they so your vishlas, your wire hairs are going to be in your short hairs, um, the Navda breeds are going to have a stronger preference to hunt sheds. Uh, and we'll say stronger preference. Doesn't mean that you won't have, you know, one of the breeds Not, that we just right. talked about. You could that teach does. a setter to do it, but there's going to be a higher propensity in a breed that's um, stronger retreat. Yeah, and the versatiles, you go, what do they have to do in their testing? Mm-hmm. Got to retreat. Got to retreat, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so they breed for some of those traits. You know, because the dog has to, that's part of the testing process. They've got to retrieve something. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's it more than anything else. So we're seeing everything. I mean, it's amazing the different breeds that you see, you know, that are out there doing it. So it, it strong retrieve instinct. That, that's it. So, <clears throat> so certainly a lot of uh, breeds have that ability. The kind of the, the profile breed is the lab, right? The, the, the photo you see with somebody out, chasing sheds is with a labrador is that the most common that you see trialing it well it probably is because of the retrieve factor but think about this you know when the big air competition you know the dock jumping competitions first started sure i mean that was it was labs it Mm -hmm. might as well been lab dock jumping (laughs) now being it's been around for so long right that the breeds you know there's everything now there's border collies there's you name it um because it's like, okay, what what can we make the most proficient at this? Who can jump the farthest? So in this, there's no doubt that, you know, the retrievers probably are out there more than anything else. But as this grows even more, and the comp- competition always drives, you know, where it's headed, there's going to be other breeds that are going to be out there that, that are going to, who, who knows? How about border collies? Mm-hmm. How about? 
these other breeds. I often thought training a border collie to be a pheasant dog would be like the most awesome thing. I haven't done it yet, but, <laughs> you know, because of their herding instinct. Yeah, for and, sure. and if if you ever watch them do, um, you know, the retrieving the the, the frisbees and yeah. stuff, they love doing it. So well, this this could evolve into you know who knows what breeds will be the best of the best. So tangent question: What's the the most oddball breed of bird dog? you've ever seen out pheasant hunting non-traditional you know not your not what you now does it have to be a bird dog or can it be any breed yeah any breed i'm sorry what breed of dog um outside of what you would expect that you've seen succeed as a bird hunting dog we're in southern alberta canada in the mid 70s and we're a friend of mine and myself were up there and we were hunting ducks and geese and then uh we went down to Brooks, which is right on the U.S. border, mm-hmm. to hunt pheasants. So you don't think Canada to hunt pheasants? No, but just southern Canada, Huns and Sharpies and pheasants, pretty they good. They had pheasants there. And we we were hunting on a, a piece of property there that we got permission from uh, a guy, and he said, well, you mind if I go out? Well, come on, let's go. He had a little, this thing almost looked like a little rat terrier by the name of Tammy. And she was like a little buff-colored thing. I bet she didn't weigh 10 pounds. We kind of rolled our eyes a little bit. Oh, yeah, okay, let's let's go. That little thing was the bird finest <laughs> that you'd ever imagine. Yeah. I mean, and she was fired up to do it. So think that all of these canines, though, they all have one thing in common. They all have predator drive. I mean, that's part of what they are. Mm-hmm. They love they love that predator drive. Whether you bring it out or not in them when they're puppies, if they're just going to be house dogs, but they all they all have that, they all have it. So and, and they have a nose to match too, right? Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's fun, and you know, watching any dog do what they love to do is is probably my most favorite. Mm-hmm. People go, well, what what breeds do you like the best? I go, I I want a dog that likes to work. Mm-hmm. That, that's all I care about. Tina teaches, right? Mm-hmm. Kids that wanna wanna learn. Those, you know, that's that's the fun stuff. Um, so you're president of um, North American Shed Hunting Dog Association. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me about the Shed Dog Hunting Association in the circuit. All right. So we started off, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't, I'm not good with dates, but quite a while back, we started with our first trial. And the whole idea was run a trial, get like-minded people to run a trial. And then we started the association after that. Not much different than you just talked about NAVDA, which is, you know, for versatile hunting dogs. And then you got the Hunting Retrieving Dog Association. You've got all of these different mm-hmm. associations for different things. So we started that and knew that because, you know, knowing how these things kind of end up going, uh, clubs would start up like, well, we, we want to run a trial. So we started a trial circuit and we started off with a junior level, which is a real basic level um competition is you have six antlers on a course and uh, you have a 15 minute time slot within to find these you know six antlers and it's a pass fail Hmm. so you're not trying to be first second third or fourth and the reason we like that pass fail and we've seen this in you know maybe your other competitions uh, non-related to sheds is that the camaraderie was better amongst all of the contestants Hmm. You, you know, you don't want somebody patting you on the back before you run going, yeah, hey, good luck, and then turn around and go like, right. you know, I hope you bomb. Right. So the camaraderie is really good because if you pass, you pass, and you get, you know, you get a ribbon for, for that day. So we started with the junior, knowing that we'd go junior level. Um, you get six passes to get your junior title. The next level up, once you accomplish that as a senior, which not as age-wise, but is, is just one step up difficulty, and then our final is the master master level, which um, the tests are much harder. Hmm. Um, they're more demanding, but we expect that. I mean, when you get to that, that higher level. So now, you know, there's competitions that are all the way down in the states of Mississippi, all the way up through the Midwest, Ohio, uh, all the way out to the Dakotas, uh, down into Iowa. Um, you know, just it it's just kind of gradually kind of blossomed out. So hmm. the, the thing there is, is that you're getting – clubs out there 
you're getting people that love doing it. They want to do it for the same reason we do. They, you know, they love their dogs. They want to do something different. You get guys that are, you know, deer crazy. And then you get the guy who's got the hunting dog who just wants something new to do. So it's, it's taken off and I expect it to just kind of keep on growing. You know, we, we think birds because this is what we do, right? But there's deer in every state. So right. let's say you're a duck hunter. Would you, if you're saying, I'm passionate about duck hunting, so I'm going to move to where duck hunting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Nevada. You're going like, no, <laughs> you know, probably not your right. best choice. Right. So, but there's deer in every state. So this sport has the potential for every state mm-hmm. where, you know, duck hunting or pheasants. Now we know sure. that there's kind of a belt. You're not going to go to Georgia, right. you know, make that year where you're going to go to pheasant hunt. So deer are everywhere. So mm. it's bigger. You know, Logan was talking about out west. I mean, they're as passionate about shed hunting out west as we are here. For sure. Yep. Um, I, and how many members and clubs are participating in the shed hunting right now? You probably have to talk to Simone Okay. about that. <laughs> Simone Shera handles <laughs> all of our clubs. Um, so, you know, she's she would know all the members, how many members, how many clubs there are. Uh, but it's rapid growth. Oh, it's way rapid growth. Yeah. It really is. So now the world championships this year is going to be down in Brownstown, Indiana. So we'll be traveling down there, uh, you know, and, and uh, being involved with test setups and, and uh, you know, helping, you know, the clubs out as they need help from us. But, uh, you know, the goal of this, this to begin with is the world championships were always held here in Minnesota at our facility. And now that it's grown to a certain stage is, is we, we want everybody to be able to experience this. So mm-hmm. kind of like Pheasant Fest, now you, sure. you want to move it around. You want, you want people to experience it in different places. So now it'll move from, it'll go to the Indiana Shed Hunting Dog Association, which is a NASHTA affiliate. It'll be there. And we want to move it around the country so everybody gets a chance to experience it. And you said six fines in 15 minutes. And that's the... Like the entry level, what's the master level? Well, the master level, we we keep we keep the time limit the same, uh, but the difficulty. Let's say, like at the master level now, it's these antlers can be uh, placed under brush. <laughs> a dog has got to retrieve one out of the water, uh, where you know there might be just a tine sticking out of the water. Uh, in the case where the trial is held in the middle of the winter. It's going to be under the snow, but maybe a tine, just a tine sticking out. Uh, you're, you have to do an elk antler of, of handleable size. So the difficulty ramps up with, with everywhere we go. So let's say, a, you know, you, a, a deer drops a, an antler, it's in a crick, and that antler tip is out, out mm-hmm. of it. The dog's got to show some ability to go, like, I want this bad enough that I'll stick my head Underwater. My nose underwater uh-huh. to pick it up and bring it back in. So we're looking more for tenacity than we are anything else. And then and and then these dogs, once they get to that master level, the handlers are way good now by this time too. They'll go into a course, and, and Logan was talking about nose and wind before, right? Right. I mean, these handlers now are, when they get to that level, they, they get it. They know which way the wind's coming from. They, they, you know, they're working the course and then they're going like, okay, I need to work this side of the course because they want to give the dog every advantage sure. that they can. And they can't, a handler just can't go up to a shed and stand next to it and go, well, here it is right here. Pick well, that's it up. what I was wondering. Can a handler um, indicate with uh, hands or like, you know what I Good mean? Good question. Can, well, even like I've had conversations with my dog just with my eyes before, right? Mm-hmm. Can, can you communicate to your dog in any way? No, we don't want we don't want a handler to see an antler, and then because you'd be able to do it, hand signal your right. dog right towards right. that. Because now, it, it really isn't about the dog anymore. Right, it's more about the handler. But handlers are maybe going to see an antler on the course, mm-hmm. and we want him to work that dog, get him downwind or whatever it might be to come up with it. And once a dog finds an antler, the judge is going to say find. That means the dog has found it. Mm-hmm. The The handler has to stop where he's at. The dog has to come all the way back and give it to him in hand. Hmm. Now, and you can't go to the dog to take it from him. So we want to see that retrieve, too. Right. So we we want that retrieve coming all the way back to the handler. That was going to be my question. If if you had a pointer that was, was maybe locking up and pointing on a shed, if, 
are they're getting graded for the retrieve itself. Yeah. So okay. you get yeah. Th- so in order to in order to pass, you have to get that antler back. Okay. Now, when we do the world championships, you know, the up to this point, the junior, senior, and master have all been pass fail. When we get to the world championships, now this is the one event out of the year you've had to have qualified at other events to come to it. And there, there we have uh, we have the same setup, six antlers, time limit, but we're going to find a winner now. We're going to find world champions here. So what, what happens then is you got 15 minutes, so you get 50 points for a find mm-hmm. and 50 points for the retrieve that came back to your mm-hmm. hand. Whatever time, whatever the 15 minutes you did not use, you get that as part of your score. Mm-hmm. Okay. So speed is important, okay, uh, and that's how we find a winner. And once again, we don't want it. The only judging is that it's got to come back to hand. Hmm. So we don't want it on style points. We don't want it on anything else. We want this as fair as possible because we want everybody leaving that going, I was at the world championships, and I had I had a great opportunity to do it. And it's not about did the judge – like my dog or the color of my dog or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about the dog. Mm. So when you get to the world championships, being it's like winner take all, well you, it, the competition is, is there. <laughs> I mean, the whole casual attitude yeah. is it has changed. Th- throw and, it out the window. And then we have a big banquet, awards banquet, um, on that Saturday evening. It, uh, Masters runs on Friday all by itself. And then we have... Um, the open, then we call it open and amateur. Open professional dog trainers can run in as well as amateurs, but then an amateur can can only run in the amateur level. And then we have the junior level too. For these are uh, dogs that are under. Then we then we say in that junior level they got to be under two years of mm. age, but it doesn't necessarily hold true during our our normal season. So I, by having that. We bring everybody together as a community, mm-hmm. and it's kind of that one big event of the year where everybody can be in there and participate. And are most of the events kind of a winter-spring window, or do you have events happening all year round? Depends on the time of the year. The best, Probably the most of them start happening in that December, January, February, March, and April. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, you get down south more because of the weather. Right, I mean, it just goes so darn hot. <clears throat> and uh, so that, that's the majority of, of when it's happening. It doesn't mean that there's somebody might not have one in June. Uh, we have one in August at Game Fair every year in Anoka. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, there's a qualifying event there uh, at Anoka. So it, it doesn't have to be any particular time of the year. I'd say up in the Midwest here, you might see some in the summer more so than you would down south just because of the heat. Well, and uh, you've become pretty good friends with Lee and Tiffany um, Lakoski from the television show The Crush. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the friendship started with them getting a pup through through you guys, but then you started teaching them all how to do shed hunting. It actually started way past then. Oh, it did? Okay. It way past then because uh, we trained a, uh, a retriever for Lee way before he got into the deer deal, Huh. way back in the day, because he was a real avid bird hunter. So that happened way prior to the, you know, to the dogs that they have now. And so once this started... Um, I reached out to Lee and I says, "Hey, uh, sooner or later, somebody's going to have a shed dog on their television program, mm-hmm. and he, I'm in." <laughs> so our relationship had been developed years before oh, that, okay. and um, and so then uh, I found him uh, uh, Tank, which is uh, one of their dogs, and trained him to be a shed dog and a you know duck dog, right. goose dog, and and pheasant dog, and then. Uh, you know, Tiffany, she's way into this stuff, too. Says, well, i got to have my own dog. And Tiffany's mom is, too. And Linda, yeah. So so then we trained a dog for Tiffany, which is Maddie. And she's, uh, Maddie won, uh, well, Tank won the, the junior world championship and the amateur world championship when he was under a year. Hmm. And then uh, uh, Maddie won the um, amateur and the open world championship at one point. And then Linda trained a dog for her. By the name of Kaya, and Kaya won the junior championship one huh. year. But think think of them as that, you know, when they shed hunt, they find sheds. Right. Yep. I mean, it's like, you know, that's what they do. So their dogs get that opportunity to really do it. 
And then now Linda, I just trained a dog for Linda this summer that will gradually replace Kaya. Um, so she's, uh, she's got a new youngster. She's a little under a year old right now. So, um, yeah, but, but in their great ambassadors, I don't know if you've mm. been around them, but there's very, very yeah, nice they're people. just there. They're there yeah. to shake hands. And, and, uh, that's one thing that's amazing. Cause we've been on other trips, fishing trips and hunting trips with them and, no matter where you stop, when that bus stops, it's like mosquitoes coming to a light. People just, they want gravitate to that bus, and they'll always take the time to shake hands and do pictures and stuff. So mm-hmm. they're they're good ambassadors for it. But obviously their name, you know, having that, you know, associated with the shed hunting right. is, is, is been just, I think it's been great for the sport too because people go like, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, if folks want to learn more about uh, getting involved with the shed hunting um, trials and association, where can they find more? They can go to sheddogtrainer.com, and then they can also go to uh, NASHDA, N-A-S-H-D-A.com, and then they'll find where all of the trials are and, uh, you know, where the events will, you know, be. And I always tell people it's a good idea if you're thinking about going and doing it with your dog, don't be intimidated by it because everybody who has done it, they did it for the first time at one point and were unsure of what to do. Go to one, just, you know, watch it and walk along. And a lot of times you can just walk behind a group and, you, you know, you go like, well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's why we want people to be successful. So that junior level, entry level is is there to encourage people, you know, to, hey, you know, get involved in, in doing it. So a lot of fun. Has Aspen, uh, Logan, has Aspen ever found a, a shed that you think back to and is like, you know, where the tine is sticking out of the water that you're like, oh, baby, <laughs> that, that like the most memorable shed that Aspen's found? Yeah, so um, the one that, that jumps out to me, I, I talked about the one, but the, the one find that jumps out to me is earlier in the year, I had found a, a real nice eight-point side. Um, you know, we walked this property probably five times throughout the spring and I mean, I was gun ho on it, trying to match it up, trying to find the left mm-hmm. side. And it was a, it was a really, really nice buck that you know, I'm like, that other side's got to be here. So we, we went back a few times and, um, I don't know, it was like the third, fourth time back into that, that wood lot. Um, you know, I just worked it different than I had previous times. And, um, he would, you know, I, I let him work out quite a ways further than I usually do. And, um, he was kind of along this swampy edge and there was like this down log and I, I could see he was behind there and he was getting super excited. And well, he, the shed was kind of like buried underneath that, you know, log and grass and all kinds mm. of stuff, just a little bit of the tine sticking up. And he was, he had a hole of it and was pulling, trying to get it out, but it was stuck. Huh. Um, we're going super excited. So ended up, I mean, it, the rodents had got to it and it was chewed up a little mm. bit because it had been laying there, you know, some of the spring, but he had located it, found it, and was trying to get it out, and it ended up matching up that wow. eight-point side. So that's probably the, the the coolest find he's had. I was I was super excited about, and now I got a nice match set. It is kind of fun when you you go like, now I got to find the other yep. side. <laughs> I was I remember uh, Tina found a really nice shed. It was uh, probably mid March, and she said, "I'm going to find the other side." And, you know, and she, I mean, she's. You know, my wife, it's like once she decides she's going to do something, it's like <laughs> just don't get in her way. And I go, yeah, okay, honey, fine. Yeah, you're going to find it. And I go, like, your odds aren't probably that good. And she'd hunted for a month, huh? for a month, and she ended up coming with the other one. So it was just kind of one of those deals where um, you go, well, you know, if you just stick with it long enough, I mean, she ended up coming up with it. How, how often do you find the matching set? It's got to be... You know, maybe <laughs> one in ten. I'm not very. Less. I'm not very good at it, but uh, you know, there's there's people that say you know if you find one side, the other side's typically within 100, 200 yards of of the one side. That's that's what I just don't have mm. that great of luck with it. But it depends. I mean, we'll you know, especially if you know like the deer are on this property. Like yep. you go, they're here. So hit and you go like, I know they they're bedding up there, and here's where they're coming to the food. So you go somewhere mm. in here, it's going to be. Depending on the kind of cover you're hunting, too, it can make a difference. I've found them, you know, eight or nine months later. Uh, two years ago, I'm brush hogging, and thump, thump, I, I hit something. I What the heck is this? I, I, didn't, I thought it was a rock or something. I, get, I better get this out of here. I go back there, and it was huh. 
the match side of something that we'd looked and looked and looked and looked and looked for. And it was yeah, within 200 yards. Yep. Yeah, of where of where the first one was, but it, if you know if you got big grass fields or cattail sloughs, those you know it's tough to always come up with them. But when you find them, it's it's pretty neat. And you know, part of that is it's you know you like deer hunting and getting one with a bow, but when you have that match set, I mean that's yeah, you're you're basically holding that deer, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like you know this year, uh, Tina harvested a, a a nice buck with her bow. I didn't, but then I go like, well, I got another chance at him mm-hmm. because I'm gonna I'm going shed hunting here <laughs> in, in several months. So just build more history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it really is. So it's 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 fun. All right. So to recap, somebody is listening and they want to get started. Start with piece of bone, a piece of antler, a small mm-hmm. piece without a lot of tines, so they're not gonna get poked, and just start playing a game of hide and seek and fetch with it. Right? right, use it in the house, use it in the backyard, and then progressively get more and more difficult in where you hide it. Right, and you know there's products out there. This, this sport is pretty cheap mm-hmm. to get into. I mean, like let's say if you're a duck hunter, boats, ducks, decoys, guns, right. you know, you, you know, calls. I mean, you got like a fortune stuck <laughs> into it. Pheasant hunting, not so much. You know, a gun, a vest, and sure. you got your dog and a Volkswagen Beetle, and you're, <laughs> you know, you're kind of good to go. Yeah. This, you know, you know, the equipment that you have is not that. It's more, it's more the steps, and I gave you kind of a brief mm-hmm. steps to take, but um, people can also go if they want just the tools to do it, like maybe some books and DVDs, some of those things. Go to um, everythingshedDog.com. It's an online store, or go to Gun Dog Supply. They they have categories where they have all of the the stuff, okay. you know. Logan I'm, mentioned like silhouettes and yeah. stuff like that. Scents. I bought Tom's starter kit when I got started out. I think it was sixty bucks relatively. Yeah, I mean it's that, cheap. That's Silhouette. what I'm invested. Uh, tell me the silhouettes. It's basically just a a cardboard cutout of you know kind of the figure of an antler. So okay, it, so they're it's using a visual their thing. Eyes. Yeah, they're seeing it, and then usually you locate the antler close to it and they can go pick it up gotcha yeah you're looking for developing eyes there and then get that dog to work away from you because like we said earlier you want that dog if you know and these are big big Mm. silhouettes because you you know you kind of overdo it to begin with but you always have an antler sitting by it so that dog when he sees that shape imprints on it and then gradually you know obviously things get smaller and smaller but it just speeds up for us it's about speeding things up a little bit quicker yeah Tell me that website again. Uh, Everything Shed Dog. And then the other website is Gun Dog Supply. But, I mean, you can find this stuff at Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops and, you know, pretty much all over the place. But, you know, like books for training your bird dog, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's just kind of a roadmap of how to get there. And th- this is really pretty much the same. Yeah, I'm Aspen 7 now, and I'm, I mean, I'm less than $10 in a year, you know, to shut out. So, and I got a lifetime of memories with my wife and dog out in the field. And right. so, I mean, yeah. it's great. If a person's going to make a mistake along the way, where do you tell them, okay, don't make that mistake? I think expecting too much too fast, okay. you know, is, is, and Logan really hit on it earlier, and I'm glad he did, is that you, you got to keep it fun. I mean, if you're working with a puppy, you got to keep it fun and you got to keep it short because you never want them to get bored with what you're doing. They'll, they'll gradually develop as time goes on. But patience, like you know, like bird dog training, mm-hmm. patience is everything because the biggest problem is your lack of knowledge. It just is. I mean, and, and you're going to be, if you're frustrated, that's when you're going to make a mistake and the dog's going to go, wait a minute now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's mad about something here and. Is it the antler or is it, what is it? So just, it's just got to be fun. Make it a game. Just, you know, that's why I say it's, it's no different than chasing a training dummy or going after a tennis ball. You know, there's steps involved with it, but uh, it, it does just kind of, you know, you have to go with it, go with what your dog can do. And they're all different. Every dog's different. Any, anything I missed asking about uh, or things that I should have brought up about shed hunting? I don't, I don't think, I think we pretty much covered everything. I, I think the biggest thing that people have to do is just realize that, that you got to take the time to do it. You know, we talked about that as well. Go, you know, can I take my dog out and, and just go shed hunting after doing this for a week? You can, but 
expectations have to be lowered. Uh, the more knowledge that you have on it is probably the better. You know, get out there, get you know, get some basic information of of what you're doing. I, I'm I'm as passionate about this at this time of year coming up as I am about just about anything. Hmm. I mean, I'm there's too much snow right now. I mean, you're doing I'm, it too. I'm you're probably at chomping <laughs> at the bit. I want to get going. Yep, yep. One of our our trainers who works for us, uh, Hunter Demo. I mean, he's an avid bow hunter as well as bird hunter, and he got. Um, uh, on his one of his trail cameras he's got a deer that dropped one i mean and he was foaming at the mouth knowing <laughs> that that deer was here yesterday now i've got a picture today where he dropped one well he went out there and, and he found it huh. but then it snowed and now it's just killing him that i mean find the other he's got to wait now i mean until <laughs> you know he can get out there so it's like i gotta get out there i understand <laughs> but it it's a passion thing more than anything else but uh, you know, it's kind of neat that, you know, you say now it's a family thing for you, too. Yeah. And no, it just is. Yeah, it's it's a great opportunity for, for maybe folks that don't necessarily hunt. I mean, you don't have to hunt to get, get involved in the sport. And, you know, if you have a, a willing dog that, that wants to learn and you have the time to do a little training, I mean, anybody can get into it. Hunter, non-hunter, it doesn't matter. You know, and we talked about this, you know, take getting your kids out. I mean, we talk about getting kids out. You know, getting them started, you know, being in the woods, right? right. I mean, that's right. our next generation here. You know, that's no different with this. They have to be successful, too. And I know some guys that they want their kids to come out and have fun with it. They'll go out and put some antlers out ahead mm-hmm. of time. And, you know, not even when the, you know, with the dog. And they'll let them, oh, you found one, you know. <laughs> How do you keep that going? Yeah. It's kind of the yeah. kind of the same thing. So yep. you're you're building a passion. Well, and you also earlier connected the dots between you're out in the field, seeing the cover, seeing where the you know the habitat where the deer are living, and the same places where you know it, it, the the work of pheasants forever and quail forever doesn't just benefit those two species, right? It's that web of life that we keep going back to. If it's good quality habitat for the birds, well, the deer need it too. Oh yeah. Yeah, we've seen it on our projects that, that, you know, were, you know, cost shared by, you know, different, uh, you know, organizations, Pheasants Forever being one of them. I mean, ducks, pheasants, the deer, mm-hmm. and that's just, that's maybe just hunted species. Right. Forget about all the other things, the, the wildlife that's out there that's using them. So we're big fans, you know, we're big fans of it, and you know we're big fans of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, too. Well, there, no doubt you are. You've been yeah, a great are. supporter. and We're big fans. And uh, if folks have not been able to see the uh, shed hunting seminar that you do at Pheasant Fest, you do it every year, mm-hmm. and uh, they can look for you in Minneapolis in 2020. Um, get there early because it's probably the single most popular seminar on the bird dog stage because it does bridge that that off season between um, you know what you're chasing birds and and then deer hunting and uh, it allows you to get outdoors in the months of right. March and April and and even into May. You know one other thing I should bring out here because uh, you talked about those seminars. I think Tina had mentioned that one of our seminars is posted on YouTube, mm, like okay. our shed hunting seminar. So it might be somebody could do shed hunt. Uh, uh, shed dog training YouTube. Maybe just do that, and they'll probably see the whole video there. So I mean, if instead of getting to one of our seminars right now, it might be a way to see it. Yeah, terrific. We'll tell Tina we said hello when she we'll gets do. home from school. We'll do. She's teaching yep. math right now. Yep. She'll be sad that she missed you today. Well, we'll get. Uh, we'll come back and we'll record another one. Good deal, guys. Logan, thanks for co-hosting this with me, and, and Tom, thank you very yeah, much. Always fun. Always fun. And uh, we will be, uh, we'll come back and do another um, podcast with you. You're always one of our favorite guests. Well, I always enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, this episode of On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Don't sit inside, get outside with those bird dogs and uh, heck, go find a couple of sheds because what else are you going to do in the middle, middle of March and April? There's plenty to do outside. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road.